Welcome to another message from Bridge Assembly, located at 725 Granite Avenue in Helena, Montana. For more information on Bridge, go to our website at bridgehelena.com. It is our prayer that this message will help you to connect with God, connect with others, and connect others with God. Amen. Lord, we're so thankful this morning for your presence. God, you are our refuge and our strength. You are our strong tower. You are our wisdom and our knowledge. God, you love us fiercely. You love us intentionally. You go before us. You stand beside us and you take up our rear guard. I am grateful, Lord, to know you this morning. Lord, we ask that you would fill this place with your presence, that your word would be spoken from this platform this morning, that we would have hearts of gratitude toward you and all that you do for us. We ask that you would anoint the speaker this morning to bring your word, that he would not stray to the right or to the left, but stay firm on your word. God, we love you. In your mighty and awesome and powerful name we say, amen. Good morning. How is everyone? Awesome. Good to see everybody. I have just a couple quick, quick announcements, and we'll get to the word. On January 12th, which is a Friday, am I extremely loud? It feels very loud. Friday, January 12th, 1130 to 1, is the March for Life at the Capitol Rotunda. There's going to be several speakers. It's sponsored by Pro-Life Montana. So if you can go and be a part of that, that would be amazing. Go and stand with our beliefs and our fellow believers, right? Um, This... Sunday, not this Sunday, excuse me, the last Sunday of the month, when we normally do our big potluck downstairs, we're going to switch it up just a little bit because the kitchen isn't ready, or I don't know how ready it will be by that point, but uh, we will plan to go ahead and have a meal, and we're going to do soup and sandwiches, and starting next week, there will be a sign-up sheet in the foyer. I guess there's going to be a specific list of the things that we need, so if you want to participate and bring that, bring items on the list, that would be awesome. Again, that's for the last Sunday of the month. And one more thing. Uh, Levi is going to be starting the EAT group back up. I don't know if you guys remember. Tyler and her husband did EAT for a little while, Bible study at their house. Levi is going to step in and do a Bible study for his young adult, can I call you that? Young adult age group. And they are going to meet Tuesday evenings at 6 o'clock over in the office. And we already have a sign-up sheet. We are going to feed them while they study the book of Luke. Amen? So uh, the sign-up sheet is in the back. And... 
If you have any questions, um, because I don't think we really know how many people will be there, and so you may be able to give us a better under, like a, a number for what to cook for, is that right? At the, maybe on Sundays? So if you're signed up, touch base with him. He might say 20 people have been coming or five people have been coming, and that's a big difference in how you cook. So um, just touch base with Levi if you have any questions on that, or if you're a young person and you'd like to join, talk to him about that. And giving. Several ways to give, online text giving box and snail mail. God calls us to tithe and to give our 10%. And he asks us to be faithful. He asks us to be faithful in everything that's in his word. This is one of them. So, amen? Awesome. I'm super excited because you guys all know Stephen and Danielle. And we have the pleasure of listening to and learning from Stephen this morning. So, if you... Oh, and kids, sorry. Kids, if you want to go downstairs and learn and play and eat and have fun, that'd be... Anything else? I hope not, too. <laughs> Thank you. There, yeah, is the mic on? It is. All right, can everyone hear me okay? All right, good morning, church. As always, it is such a privilege to be here. We're just going to get one thing out of the way really quick, just a quick update on where we are at in this journey. We should be leaving in the next six, seven days, give or take. So excited to be back uh, where God has asked us to be, serving the people that God's asked us to serve. We're just waiting on Judah's visa to come back. We got mine. We got Danny's. Judah's, for some reason, was a little delayed because they wouldn't ship it in the same package as Danny's. Why? Good question. We have no clue. Got an email saying, hey, we won't ship it in the same package, and we had to pay for their courier fee, and then it took like three days for them to process that I paid for it, and so it was a few days delayed. So we're hoping to see it in the next few days, and then we'll be buying our tickets and heading out. So this might be the last Sunday that we're with you for a while. It might not. I really don't know, but we are excited to be back home with the people that God has called us to be with and disturbing them and sharing the love of Jesus with them. So again, thank you guys so much for praying with us. Thank you for being in our corner. I say this with everything sincerely in my heart. We wouldn't be on this journey without you guys. You guys have been such a blessing and partnering with us to see the gospel go to places that it doesn't currently exist. So thank you so much. One thing I want to just point out is Last week was pretty great, right? You guys enjoyed last Sunday? Yeah. Mackenzie kind of killed it, didn't she? Yeah. Like it was a great message of what it means to have this heart of true devotion unto Jesus and how everything that we do stems from this love of God, right? Wasn't that a great message? Yeah. Okay, we're going to go a little different direction today, but it's going to be hopefully challenging and encouraging. If you have a Bible, please open with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when I put together this message, by the way, I've given this message probably 12 times over the last year, but every time I change it, I rewrite it, add things, take away things. When I was thinking about this week, thinking about specific people that God has put on my heart, 
I rewrote the message, and then I realized this message needs to go on a diet. Like it needs to hit the slim fast diet really quickly if we're gonna get through it in 30 minutes. And so there's a lot of context that we're gonna talk about, there's a lot of scripture, there's a lot of things that we're gonna bring out, and I would encourage you, if I move past something too quick, that's okay, write it down and go back to it in your own personal study time, because I'm not gonna break down every single component that we talked about. I believe that we can all individually study our Bibles either collectively or in our private life. And if there's something that I say, write it down and go study it. If there's a passage I reference, write it down, go study it. Right? You have just as much access to the Bible as I do, just as much access to the Holy Spirit and the discernment that comes with it as I do. And I believe that this church is well equipped to study the Word. Amen? Okay? So if I go past something, that's okay. If you do have questions, though, I'll be available afterwards and we can talk about some things. Okay? So let's read Matthew chapter 16. Verses 13 through 20. Now, I always say this just for, you know, giggles. As I read out of the ESV, which is the extra spiritual version. If you don't have that, that's okay. I forgive you. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates to hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you so much. Such an honor to read your word, to study it, to proclaim it publicly. God, it is an honor to serve you. God, I pray you would speak this morning through your word, through the power of your spirit in each and every one of our lives. Help us walk out that door changed as we continue to grow on this journey of knowing you and making you known. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is our main passage. We're going to come back to this passage a few times. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about some background context. Some things that I think are important to understand in order to understand the passage that we had just read. Right? And so when Jesus stepped into the world, one of the questions I have to ask is, what was his primary purpose throughout his ministry? Right? He didn't come by accident. He came to a specific people to do a specific test. He had a specific purpose. What was that purpose? What was Jesus doing throughout his ministry? I love these two passages that speak to this. Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. These are up on the screen. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 says this. From that day, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke chapter 8 verse 1, soon afterwards he went throughout cities and different villages proclaiming, that's that idea of preaching, and bringing the good news, that's that word gospel, of the kingdom of God. So when Jesus stepped into the world, he began to proclaim a message, a gospel of the kingdom of God. I love this because we, it really reveals something very interesting about what Jesus is doing. But we have to understand what is a gospel. I, I think find it very interesting how in Western church, we've made the gospel kind of about us and our own. But the reality is in Jesus' day, he didn't proclaim the only gospel. This idea of a gospel was a very well-known idea throughout the Greco-Roman world. You can go study this. We have unearthed 
documents and tablets that predate Jesus by up to 60 to 100 years that reference the gospel of Augustus Caesar, who was one of the emperors of Rome. And I, and I believe I talked about this even the last time we were here and we read it. But this gospel of Augustus Caesar references Augustus Caesar as the savior of the world, as the bringer of peace. And even references him as a deity, as a divine being sent to rule the world. So this was a very well-known idea. When a king would enter power, he would proclaim a gospel. And basically what that meant was this is a new king, a new kingdom, and this is what it is going to bring to the world. So when Jesus stepped into a people that were influenced by a Roman worldview, he began to preach a gospel. And the gospel he preached was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28 for a second. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28 speaks very clearly to what Jesus came to do and who he came for. We're not going to get too deep into this passage because I know some I could do a whole sermon on this passage, but we're not going to. Jesus went away from there, withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon, Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs can eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, her O woman, great is your faith, but let it be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now, I know this passage can really confuse some people. Like, why was Jesus ignoring a woman in need? Why did the disciples say, send her away? We don't want anything to do with her. Why did Jesus say it's not right to give the bread that belongs to the people of Israel and feed it to the dogs? Right? There's a lot of contextual things there we're not going to talk about today. If, you, if you're interested in learning more on that, go study it. What I want to highlight here for a second is that Jesus specifically said he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Which tells me that his primary purpose in ministry was focused on the Jewish people. Why? He was calling them to repentance. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom primarily to the Jewish people. So what is repentance? Now we have a generally good idea of what repentance is, right? This idea of a change of mind, a redirection. I was going this way, now I'm going this way, right? And that is all absolutely accurate and correct. But I want to rethink this just slightly for a second. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. That is a parable full of repentance, right? The son takes what he thought was inherit his inheritance and he leaves and he goes and blows it and ends up in the lowest or the lowest place. And then he returns to the father. And the father welcomes him with open arms, actually leaves the house, runs after him, gives him not only his inheritance back, but his identity in the family. It's a beautiful parable of what repentance looks like. It's not just being born again, although it is being born again, but it's also about returning to the heart of your father. This idea of returning to the place we have fallen from. 
And this is the message Jesus is proclaiming to the Jewish people. What he is saying is you have lost your way and he steps into this narrative and he begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom, calling his people to remember the place they have fallen from. And he's calling them back to the heart of the Father. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 18. I love this passage. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. He says to the people, I did not come to abolish them, but I came to fulfill them. Right? This idea of fulfillment in a Hebrew culture is to live out perfectly. Sometimes we look at this and we say, oh, Jesus fulfilled the law, therefore it doesn't apply to us anymore. And that is just inaccurate. Yes, there's certain aspects of the law that were completed in Jesus, like his, through his death, burial, resurrection, and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus looks at the Jewish people and he says, I am going to show you what it means to live out the law, to be a perfect example of what it means to follow Yahweh. That's what it means. And that's what Jesus does. And this all stems back to what we talked about the last time I was here in Exodus chapter 19. Right? Which stems back to right before the law was given, right? The people of God were oppressed for over 400 years in Egyptian slavery. In one way to say they completely lost their idea of what it means to be God's people. Right? God uses Moses, leads them out, right? Leads them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And in Exodus chapter 19, Moses is called up the mountain to meet with God. And God looks at Moses and says, this is what I want you to say to my people. In verse 4, he says, you yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my commandments, you will be a treasured possession amongst all peoples. The earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this is what Moses proclaimed to the people of Israel at the start of their wandering in the wilderness. And this is when God introduces them to the law and gives them the book of Leviticus. I find that so interesting. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is looking upon his people who have forgot what it means to be God's kingdom in a world that is in desperate need of a savior. It was the religious people in Jesus' day that killed him, which should show us where their hearts were really at. And Jesus steps in to his people who have lost their way, and he calls them to return back to the heart of the Father. What does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? A kingdom that stands in the gap between lost people and God, who are going to, in every word, shine as a beacon of hope and love throughout every single people around them. This is what Jesus is calling them back to. Let's go back to Matthew 16, our main passage. So what is Jesus doing here? What is Jesus doing? Matthew chapter 16. Let's read this one more time, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, other Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am, Peter? Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged them, charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So now, like I mentioned before, the primarily primary focus of Jesus' ministry was to the Jews. But there are a select few instances throughout the Gospels where Jesus goes into Gentile territory. We see this when he crosses the sea and goes into Decapolis. We see this when he goes into Samaria. We see this when he goes into Caesarea Philippi. And each time he goes into these regions, he's taking with him disciples that are eventually going to lead the charge and lead the early church in their mission or commission to build disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's taking his 12 disciples and he's trying to teach them a lesson. And what's the lesson? What does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be a part of the gospel of the kingdom of God? So what is Caesarea Philippi? Right? Caesarea Philippi, if you put up the map, is about 25 kilometers or miles north of the Sea of Galilee. You can kind of see it right up there on the top, Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you were a local, it was not called Caesarea Philippi. The local name was Panius or Banius. P or a B is interchangeable in their language. Okay? And that came because when King Herod the Great died, his basically kingdom was divided amongst his sons. This region was given to his son Philip. Okay? And at that time, you have this Roman influence that is basically conquering whatever the known world was. And so you have this rise of Roman power, and you have King Herod giving this region to his son Philip. So it was renamed Caesarea in honor of Caesar, and Philippi in honor of King Herod's son. That's why it was renamed Caesarea Philippi. And again, but if you were a local, it was called Panius. Why Panius? Because it was known for its worship of the Greek god Pan. Yes, this is where we get Peter Pan from. He plays a pan flute, which was the number one instrument in pan worship. Just a little plug there if you like Peter Pan. So who was Pan? Pan was a Greek god who was a half man and a half goat, known for his connection to nature. He was a fertility god. So if you were a worshiper of Pan, you would worship in naturally made areas because they believe that the closer you are connected to nature's and natural wonders, the closer you were to this god Pan. And so this Caesarea Philippi rests at the base of Mount Hermon, which was the largest mountain in the area. And at its base, you have rivers and streams and cliffs and caves and grottoes and all of these things. So it was in every way a natural wonder of the time. So Pan worshippers would flood to this area and basically colonize it into this city that we now know as Panius. And if you go to the next slide, you'll kind of see some of this. This is one of the most well-known areas where we see remnants of a temple. And if you look along the cliff, I don't know if you can quite see it, there are little inscriptions and temples that were carved out in the cliff. And this big cave is known as the Grotto to Pan. And it's also known as another name, which I'll get to in a second. And what would happen is during the winter months, when the water would subside or freeze, Right? And then in the warmer months, this, the water from Mount Hormone would settle inside this, this little uh, cave or grotto. And it became one of their most centralized focus points of pan worship. And they built this massive temple. And this specific area was known as the gates to hell. 
because they believed that when the water subsided or freeze, that Pan would descend in this literal location and he would enter the underworld, or hell. And when the water would return or dethaw, he would come ascend back into the overworld and would dwell amongst his followers. And during these seasons, there was massive idol worship of very graphic origins. I'm not going to talk all about it. Some of them has a lot to do with even sexual relations with goats. Like, it was a very idolatrous area. So what do we see geographically and historically? We see that this place has a very literal reference to the gates to hell, the gates to Hades. It's known for its cliffs, its caves, its grottoes, full of idol worship. And this is where Jesus takes his very young 12 disciples because he's trying to teach them what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. If you go back to the main passage, you see that Jesus said something very specific. He looks at Peter and he says, Peter, who do, do people say the Son of Man is? Now the Son of Man is this reference to the Messiah as foretold in the Old Testament. Who do the people say the Messiah is? Well, some say Elijah, Jeremiah, or another one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am, Peter? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, for the first time in the ministry, declares Jesus in who he really is. He finally understands the message. He gets it. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, for no one has revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. And then he looks upon this region, which is known for its gates to hell, its cliffs, its clefts, its grottos, its streams. And he says, this is where I'm going to build my church. And the gates to hell will not prevail against it. This is the message. This is the lesson that he is teaching his followers. So that they can understand that the, that the people of God were always meant to shine. We have always been meant to be a kingdom of priests, a people that stand in the gap between God and lost people. This has been the message even in the Old Testament. This is still the message today. God is still building his church. This is the lesson of Caesarea Philippi. But what breaks my heart is when Jesus stepped into the narrative, there was so much diversity in the nation of Israel. People were completely confused and lost. And you have religious leaders that are so clinging to power and authority that they completely missed the message. Even so much so that they killed them. Now remember, the religious leaders in Jesus' day that Jesus confronted, they knew the Torah. By the age of 12 years old, Jewish boys, especially who would become Pharisees and Sadducees or scribes, had to have the Torah memorized by the age of 12 years old. They knew the text. Another way of looking at that, they understood theology. They knew the Bible, but they missed the point. And that tells me something. Here's just a thought to ponder as I was reflecting on this passage this week. There's just one thought to ponder. That you can have good theology without having Christ-like character. And one of the things I see as we travel around and speak at different churches is that a lot of pastors and leaders, they love to stand up on a pulpit and just debate theology. Right? Oh, we have the right theology because we have the right context. Therefore, you should come to our church. 
And I would argue that Jesus is more concerned with having right Christ-like character and how we shine in a broken world. Now, I'm not saying theology is not important, by the way. I love theology better than anyone. I love theology. I love studying theology. But what I'm saying is if my study of God's Word doesn't change my life, doesn't lead me in Christ-like character and how I live in a world that needs a Savior, I am missing something. Amen. You can have all the knowledge of the Bible and miss Jesus. And I love this quote from one of our leaders in the Montana Ministry Network. Here's another thought to ponder. And he spoke this a couple years ago at our, uh, one of our network events. He says that churches that care more about their model than their mission fail. Churches that care more about being right than they do their mission fail. You follow me today, church? Here's something that I've learned in our journey in India. What I love about Indians is that they are not concerned with being right if they lose a relationship in the process. Americans, we're a little more concerned about being right than we are keeping a relationship. Anyone feel that? Anyone experience that? Where we argue about who's right and who's wrong, even in the church today, who has the right theology, who has the wrong theology, and now there's division and relationships are broken. And in Indian context, I will tell you what, they will always seek relationship above being right because they value people above their opinion. I love that about India. I love that about Eastern culture. But churches that care more about their model than their mission fail. My heart today is if Jesus was here today, he would call churches in America, churches all over the world to repent and come back to the heart of the Father. Come back to what it means to be a kingdom of priests and shine in a broken world. Here's how I want to conclude today. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. I was thinking of this parable that Jesus spoke. Let's read it. When a great crowd was gathering, people from town after town came to him. He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along paths and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rocks, and as it grew up, it withered and became, it, uh, withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell amongst thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it. And some fell on good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has near, let him hear. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, and we're going to talk about it. When Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Now, again, in my line of work, we see a lot of people preach these two passages. We, I've seen countless people stand up on a stage, say, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore we need to go to all these nations, we need to proclaim the gospel to the unreached people group. And I absolutely love that heart. But I would argue today that what Jesus is saying is a little different. 
Every single time the Bible references a harvest, it's talking about the people of Israel. Every time. So when Jesus looks upon, remember, he's going throughout synagogues, which are Jewish gatherings. And people from the synagogues gathered around Jesus, and he speaks to them, and he says, they are helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is the context when he says the harvest is plentiful. The people of God are plentiful. But the laborers are few. The shepherds are few. Because again, you, he stepped into a people that have lost their way. And he's calling them back to the heart of the Father. And I love what Luke chapter 8 says, this parable of this seed that's being sown. Because Jesus is going throughout cities and villages, and he's sowing the seed of the gospel. And some is falling on good soil, some is falling on bad soil. But where the good soil, when the seed is planted, it springs up into a harvest. And this is the harvest you read about in Revelations. When it talks about the rapture, it talks about the rapture of the great harvest. When God would reap the harvest of his people, we will be with him for eternity. This is what Jesus is doing. And he's looking at his people who are like sheep without a shepherd. And he's calling his disciples to pray that leaders would rise up amongst his people to lead his people into what it means to be a kingdom of priests in a broken world. Here's another thought. You can't have a harvest before the seed is sown. You can't have a harvest before the seed is sown. Jesus is calling the people of Israel to repent, to return to the heart of the Father. He sees his harvest field and sees them as sheep without a shepherd. All right, last scripture, I promise. Maybe. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I was reading this in my devotion a little while back, and there's just a few portions here that just struck me. But thanks be to God, verse 14 through 17, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to another a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. I love the words that Paul uses here. Notice how he uses words like we are the aroma of God. We are a fragrance of of God and that God is at work what through us I love that because that tells me that anywhere I go Jesus goes that means that when the church enters a room Jesus should be made known I love when I talk to people and it's like they wait so long before they even talk about their faith in a relationship it's like, and in my line of work, I've been told time and time and time again that I go a little bit too fast in how I share Jesus. I've been told to sit down, shut up, and listen, and that I don't know what I'm doing. And now I have a lot to learn. I know that. But I also know that we may not have tomorrow. And let me ask you a question. 
If we just got to know each other, you just met me for the first time, we start building a relationship, six months goes by, and you never knew I was married, how would you feel about that relationship? Yeah. Would you feel like you know me? Would you feel like you could trust me? Or would you feel like I haven't been real with you? How much more so should it be about how we introduce people to our faith, to the love of Jesus, who's the most important part of our life? We are the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of God everywhere we go to people that are saved and to people that aren't saved. He is at work through his church. Now, Mackenzie, I'm going to target you for a second. Are you okay with that? I was thinking about you this week as I'm putting this message together because you're stepping into the same journey we've been on. And you're going to have challenges. You're going to have people that tell you you're not good enough. You're going to have people that say you just need to learn, don't share Jesus. Let me just encourage you that God's at work through you. You're going to have challenges, but never forget your purpose. You're going to have people that may, maybe don't extend trust and respect well. Like, that's just a part of the journey. And God knows that. And he's with you. But let me tell you, God is working. And he's calling you to a people that need to know who he is. Be the fragrance of Christ. Be the aroma of Christ when you enter a home, when you enter a conversation. It's totally okay. You have my permission. You can blame me. You can blame me. It's totally okay. Here's my focus point today. Everything that I said, I want to just come back to this point. God is still building his church. I know, it, it took a long road to get here, and this is super simple, but I want you to remember this. God is still building his church. God is still at work through his people. God is still calling his people back to the heart of the Father to be the fragrance of God in a world that is perishing. God is working, church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is building his church, and I want to encourage you right now, if you're struggling with someone, like you're just like, you know what? I am so tired of this individual. I, they're just not going to get it. Let me tell you to have patience. God is working. God is working. Have faith. Trust. God is in control. Amen? Yeah. Amen. We're going to close the live stream right there. Uh, so thank you for those online that, are, that, that have listened in. I pray that it's encouraged you. This concludes today's message. We hope you can join us next Sunday for services beginning at 10 o'clock a.m. at Bridge Assembly located at 725 Granite Avenue in Helena, Montana. For more information about Bridge Assembly, go to bridgehelena.com. And we hope you can join us next Sunday with Pastor Jason Metz.